11. I am Seth, and with me as always is Megan. Hello. We are a Toshi Station podcast that talks about books, games, and whatever else nerdy stuff we're feeling at any given time. And so, first up, we have books. So, Megan, what have you been reading recently? So, the first thing that I wanted to talk about is actually something that I'm rereading. Um, this uh, young adult novel called Updraft came across my radar again because the sequel is coming out in September. So, I started, people I was following on Twitter started talking about it. And I went, oh, I remember that book. I, I liked that book. So, I went back and reread it. And reading it the second time took it from, like, oh, this was good, to, like, this is amazing and I need the next one now. Um, not for any particular reason, except the world building is good. It's it's about a society that's set in the bones of some kind of giant creature, and you're not really sure what it is, but it's these bone towers, and the the humans that live there never even see the ground. They're, like, above the cloud level, so they use basically hang gliders to get around. So flight and these bone towers sort of make up the society. And I really like the main character. It's uh, it's sort of a typical YA plot in that it's, like, young girl goes to fight establishment and meets characters along the way, but the, the main character sort of has both, she sees both sides of the situation and, like, the the singers, the establishment. There's some good things about them, too, and she recognizes that and kind of wants to find a balance. And uh really, really cool world, really weird world, so I've been having a lot of fun revisiting that. That sounds so cool. I, like, I are the bones really rec- like, explained in any way, or are they just bones? They're... Okay, so there are hints at that they will be explained in the future, and I certainly hope they're explained, because that's, like, you you don't really know what they're growing from. Like, there has to be a ground in this universe, but the characters never touch the ground. So it's going to be a trilogy. Presumably that's coming, but there's only a little bit of hints at that in the first one. That's so cool. Please read it so I can talk to you about it. <laughs> I definitely want to read it. I mean, you know I love my young adult, young adult fiction, so I'll give it a go. Yes. So the sequel is called Cloudbound and is coming out in September. Ah, that's Thanks. And then the next one that I read was, was a sequel, also a series, um, Supernova by C.A. Higgins, which is a sequel to Lightless, which I was all about uh, last year. It's about a spaceship mechanic who is raising a newborn AI, basically, plus a space terrorist who thinks she's a freedom fighter or possibly the other way around. And, um, again, just really cool ideas, a lot of really complex characters who don't really know what's going on around them. So you see the consequences of people's lack of knowledge and and sort of in a, oh, this character is acting foolishly way, but also sort of in a, oh, this is just the way their world is constructed and isn't it terrible and isn't it interesting. Um, So that one was really good and very creepy. Like, there is so much foreshadowing in it and then it just all comes crashing down at the end. I like the sound of the baby AI. 
Yes, I think you would definitely like the AI stuff. It's yeah. about a chip with a black hole at the center of it that has an AI, and it's a... Uh, Again, <laughs> again, you should read it so that we can talk about it, because where it goes kind of surprised me a little bit. Oh, that sounds really cool. <laughs> and read all the things, Seth. Yeah, <laughs> I've been know. reading so much that they kind of blur together, but these really stood out. Yeah. I read a lot a while back, I guess, or like often recently. I've been reading more than usual. But, I mean, I read Ancillary Justice, which is going to be our big topic today, so I'm not going to talk about that yet. But um, I've also read Queen of... Oh, I've been reading Queen of Angels by Greg Bear, which I can't I can't stand the book. <laughs> it's, I really can't. And I'm kind of disappointed because I love Greg Bear's um, Forerunner trilogy in Halo, and I really like his uh, Star Wars book, Rogue Planet. So I was really excited to try out his original fiction, but it's a really weirdly written book. It's got a really weird style, which is sort of based off of poetry a bit I guess so you've got like long rambling sentences that don't use commas and don't entirely use like correct grammar or anything which I'm sure if you like that kind of experimental stuff it works well but I just I can't get into it and just the lack of commas is just getting to me Ah oh, man so that's and I think we've talked about this before how I, I couldn't really get into the Forerunner trilogy because I felt it was too distanced from its characters and it yeah. did have this like poeticness to it but that made it difficult to connect to and it sounds like he just turned that up to 11 in the original stuff and it didn't quite work yeah i picked up one of his other books in the library because i just saw it and i was curious if he had the same writing style in that too and i looked through it and it seemed like it was a bit more uh a bit more action based i guess like it actually had proper sentences and stuff so i was like okay maybe not all of his stuff is like it maybe it's just this one book with this weird style <laughs> but i mean i knew his style was kind of like distinct and different because I've read his other book and the Forerunner books are definitely very unique and very strange and so I, I was prepared for it to be a weird style but I wasn't really prepared for this and I've, all of the main characters are really unlikable and I can't get over that there's this one character called Richard who's a poet and he is one of those just like typical self-depreciating hates himself hates his work poet who hasn't written in like two years and he starts writing again, and he becomes, like, the worst person to the girl that he's seeing. So much so that she just, like, leaves. I'm like, okay, that's kind of me. And the, uh, like, the main, main character, I guess, called Mary, um, she... By all means, I should like her, because she's an interesting character, but I just can't get into her, and I feel like she's just not good at all. And it might get better, but I'm also just probably not going to keep reading. Because the, the most exciting thing so far is there's a subplot of an AI sort of thing. They kind of have AIs, but they're not AIs. Like, they're organically grown somewhat. Um, but there's this one that's been sent into space that is exploring a different star and seeing the planets near there. And so this AI is in space at the moment, and it's, well, like, eight, four years previously, because it takes, like, four years for the news from the thing to get to Earth. So you're getting this stuff like four years past has happened, and it's it's discovering like this planet which has plant growth and all of that stuff, and then there's like giant stone towers that are obviously built by something, but they can't find any any actual civilization on the planet. And so that is the only thing I'm interested in, and it's completely removed from like everything else that's happening in the story, and I'm not sure how much it's going to relate to the actual story. So I'm sort of like, I don't know if I care enough to keep reading it just for this. 
Huh. That actually sounds more like the Greg Bear that, that I know from tie-in work, that he's, his strength is making these weird planets and weird landscapes. So I was going to ask, like, how are the science fiction concepts in the book? But it sounds like they didn't really make a make an impact. Yeah, it's kind of a near-distant future of L.A. or California in general um, for the actual city and main characters that's happening there. And because I don't really know how California or L.A. is now, I'm having trouble picturing how it looks in this book in the future as well because I don't have, I don't have visual visual imagination so like whenever he describes something i'm just like i don't know what's happening there's there's combs that people live in that rotate and move around to match the sun there's mirrors that work kind of like orbital mirrors i guess but it all just sounds very strange and very bizarre which is very greg bear but it's hard to put that together with actual earth and actual humans i'm still laughing at your description of like this book sentences were promised to me on the back of the book and I didn't get any sentences (laughs) (laughs) it seems like very basic and (laughs) it took me like two chapters or three chapters to figure out that there was something actually wrong the first the first chapter seemed fine as far as I remember that seemed fine and I got no weird feelings about the the style from there and then I got like three chapters in and I was was thinking to myself where are the commas in this is this on purpose does he just not know how to use commas why did no editor fix this and then I got a couple more chapters in and I started realizing that that was actually the style of the book and it started getting more and more like that as I got further on like it was trying to ease me into it but it just wasn't working huh that's so that reminds me of one called Central Station which I read recently which I generally liked it was basically a con- a collection of short stories set in like far future Tel Aviv that also that all like sort of came together into a novel but it also had weird grammar stuff like the the authors didn't use semicolons ever so there were a lot of places where like I would say put a semicolon instead of a a comma or just end your sentence or something and I couldn't really tell whether it was supposed to be stylistic or not yeah it's hard to tell sometimes and I've reached the point in this where I'm I know it's stylistic now but it took me a while to get to that point and like because there's the book I love well, this trilogy I love Chaos Walking written by um, Patrick Ness and Patrick Ness kind of does that in some of his books like Chaos Walking has weird spelling for some words in the first book because the character who's point of view it's from hasn't had a proper education so there's like certain words that it's spelled out phonetically rather than actually how it should be but it's not done enough to make it super jarring you just get every now and then you're like oh right this character is somewhat illiterate um but then it works later on in the other books because you get other characters that actually know how to talk and so or how to spell everything and so you kind of get that contrast between them um and you can also see the main character grow through that and then he's also got his first adult novel which was the crash of hennington which was out of publication and I think it might be back in publication now but I got like a super old copy of it that took me a year to track down um, and wow. the style is really weird it doesn't use speech marks or anything like to note um, dialogue it uses like M dashes before the dialogue and so you've got like no no actual big conversation places that like, use the speech marks to be like they're talking now you've just got it all just flows together somewhat but it, it works once you get used to it Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's like, I feel like that can be done either really well or really poorly. Yeah. And with uh, with Queen of Angels, did you get this off the mystery library shelf 
or I, did you? I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes! I need my Saps Mystery Shelf update. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, this, the Mystery Shelf kind of failed me now. And I, I was going to start reading Greg Bear's books eventually, and I probably will try and read his other fiction, but I think I've given up this time. Mm-hmm. I'm intrigued if his other stuff has that sort of same same feel to it. Yeah, me too. And a lot of people on Twitter after I got this book out told me that they had um they had read it for certain classes and things like that to see the style because it was so unique and different. So I feel like maybe it is kind of a unique case. Huh. I'd be there's very few books where I'm like I feel like I need to go to class to understand this book. And I I guess that might be one of them. I I don't know. Yeah, I feel like this is a book that I could have read for English literature or something and then had it explained to me more properly and been like, ah, yes, this is masterfully done. But because I don't care enough about that, I'm just like, no, no. (laughs) Yep, I understand. (laughs) So apart from books, what games have you been playing recently? Yeah, so I... um. I had two goals this week. My one goal was to finish Kentucky Route Zero or to catch up because the game itself is not all the chapters haven't been released yet, but um, to finish what there was available and to start my new character on Destiny because Destiny has just been consuming my life and I'm trying to play other things around it so that (laughs) I have more things to talk about on this podcast, (laughs) but I've been starting out. A hunter character on Destiny and learning how to play that that style, and also hearing about uh, all the new content that's coming in September. They're finally enabling private matches, which means that I'll be able to play PvP like just with my friends, which is something I've wanted for a long time, and that I didn't really like was sort of missing from Destiny, and I didn't really think about how much it was missing until they announced that it was coming. So. I'm looking forward to that. That's cool. But, yeah. It's, like, they're they're very much letting you do the same kind of thing you can do in Halo, where you can choose what maps to go on. You can even choose, like, what time of day it is in the map and choose how many players you have. And you can just go, like, make a match by yourself and go scout out the map. Like, I'm excited. <laughs> oh, that's really cool. Like, Yeah. Way too excited for just going by myself into <laughs> crucible maps and like getting the lay of the land. <laughs> so I have been doing that most available moments. Um, I finished Kentucky Route Zero, and you know, last time I talked a little bit about this as sort of I'm trying to ease into artsier games. You know, getting used to things that are. So we talked about how it's it's just consistently weird. There's no, like, baseline of, like, here's the real normal world and here's the weird world. It's yeah. just all weird. So I, I did feel that it kind of, kind of uh, loosened up in the middle, and I didn't really know... I didn't have much of a sense of progression, but I really liked Act 4, which is um, you end up on on a ship, and traveling through this river and just the river itself the format of like going from point a to point b gave gave it a lot of direction and some of the dialogue was really good i have i have new favorite characters who 
may or may not be robots. Like, I got attached to these characters, and then I went and looked at, like, what people were saying about this game on Reddit, and there was, like, casual mention of, by the way, I think they're actually robots or androids, and it, it that was interesting. I think I just like them more now that I know that. <laughs> it also just the writing was was really good i think there was a part where a character goes and listens to voicemails and it's like a character you don't know particularly well listening to i think there's 24 just clips of people speaking it's very like very artsy just vignettes and they were all really good and the voice acting was really good um to the point that it, it sounded super naturalistic and i was like are these really like are these really somebody's voicemails? So I, I like that a lot. They did a really good job of dialogue that was about about something without directly addressing it. So like the the two characters that I mentioned before were talking about essentially adopting a child. Like, should we bring this child along in our journey? And they talked like around that in a really realistic way or a really well well-crafted way so that by the time they got to their conclusion it was very it was a very emotional moment for me so <laughs> i enjoyed that um i don't actually know off the top of my head when act five i believe is the last act is going to be coming out but i am uh looking forward to it yeah i really want to i think kentucky Route zero is quite high up on my list of games to play. I think I have the ability to actually play it now. Like, I have a copy available to me. Um, so I do oh, plan on playing that soon, because I got really excited after you talked about it. <laughs> cool. I think I think you'd like it. It's, um... I, I'm curious what you think, because it was less linear than things I'm used to playing, so, or less plot-driven, but also probably more plot driven than something like like um flow the one that you talk about sometimes uh i've mentioned flow i don't think i talk about it much though yeah it's uh yeah so i would say kentucky route zero is somewhere between like the triple a world and the indie world is what i'm getting at through all that babbling yeah (laughs) Um, okay that's good thank you i was worried (laughs) (laughs) yeah um like speaking of dialogue and well written games, I played um I played Oxenfree, which I've been being told to play since like forever because I liked not forever, but since I played Firewatch, um and apparently it's a game that if you like Firewatch you'll probably like Oxenfree, which turned out to be right because I am a little bit obsessed with Oxenfree now to a point that I <laughs> that doesn't normally happen. Like I wake up in the morning, I'm like, so that thing happened in Oxenfree. What does that mean for the game? And <laughs> it's a real problem. <laughs> good stage good stage yeah it's been really cool and it's a game that basically you have a bunch of teenagers who are going over to this island to have a beach party because it's the end of it's the end of the year and it's the start of summer and they want to party on the beach which is fair because that's what teenagers do and it starts off it starts off with you on the boat on the ferry on the way there and basically straight away one of the characters friend who's the main character's best friend is just talking he's just talking a lot because that's what he does he's one of those people that just constantly has something to say and straight away it just like his voice was just so different to what i was used to in the normal indie games i play which don't usually have dialogue because i i haven't played a game with actual dialogue in so long that i was just super surprised by it 
and the voice acting and writing is so amazingly done. Without it, I don't think I would like this game anywhere near as much, but each of the characters just has such a personality just through the voice, and the writing is also amazing, and so the two work together really well to just create a really strong character-driven story, and people have really strong opinions on the characters. Like, there's a character, Clarissa, who I hate. I really don't like her. Um, but one of my friends really, really likes her. And then there's the character, Ren, who's your best friend again. And I really like him because I guess he reminds me of people I know. Um, whereas my friend who likes Clarissa a lot actually hates Ren, like, with a passion. And it's really interesting to see how, how strongly people feel about these different characters because you get those strong feelings. And a lot of it is very choice-driven. I'm not sure... I know different choices you can make through the game, but I'm not sure entirely how much different things affect the game. And at the start, because you, straight away you get three dialogue options whenever you get asked a question or you want to say something, and so you can pick one of the three things. And then from there that affects your relationships with your friends and also somewhat how the story goes. And the entire first third of the game, I wasn't actually sure how much I was affecting things. And so I was, I was like really anxious to make any choice because I was like, what if I ruin everything by making this choice? What if everyone dies and it's all my fault? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> These and, things happen. Yeah. And because I went straight, I dive straight into the supernatural stuff, like straight away. I was like, heck yeah, I want to solve this mystery. And then I was like, can I make choices that like <laughs> don't do such bad things later on? And so I do want to play it again and actually see what what I can do and what I can do differently because there are a variety of different endings and apparently I got the best ending completely by accident and I <laughs> I was gonna say so, the, so did everyone die I, I guess not <laughs> no I I actually got like the opposite of that <laughs> like nice, completely nice. the opposite of that um and it wasn't an ending I wanted though because it was really good but like for how I played the game and how attached I got to the characters it didn't actually work for what I wanted and so straight away I was like I need to play this again and fix everything because I don't like it and it's a really interesting mystery it's got really cool supernatural stuff um, and like ghostly stuff and the, the art design is gorgeous the, some people don't like how the dialogue choices work because basically when you choose a dialogue choice you cut off the character talking and so if you wait too long, those choices can also fade away, and so you don't say anything. And so you basically, unless it's an important thing that the other character is saying, you'll cut them off after the sentence, which is really jarring at times, but also kind of works like real conversations in a way as well. Huh. Yeah, I, I would think that would be, it also adds a sort of sense of timing to the dialogue choices, like you have to pounce on them. Yeah, and it's interesting. I can see why people don't like it, but I generally liked it. Also because it's quite different to anything else I've seen. It's sort of similar to Firewatch, but not entirely. Yeah, that was... I mean, Alright. Yeah. I, uh, um, I liked what I played of Firewatch, so that's... <laughs> maybe I'll keep that in mind. It's definitely a longer game than Firewatch, which I wasn't entirely expecting. I should have known it would be a bit longer, because... Nobody has complained about it being a short game, which is usually a sign it's not a short <laughs> game. Um, but I I kind of picked it up on, like, a Friday night. No, I picked it up on a Thursday, apparently. And I played it for, like, seven hours straight without even realizing. Um, I was like, I'll play this for a couple hours, and then I'll go do something else. And then I just played straight through till the end, because I did not want to put it down. And I finished it, and Steam was like, you've played seven hours. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> 
Yeah, like compared to the other games I've been playing, because I played Abzu, which just came out recently as well, which is very similar to Journey, um, which is that game where you find another person online and you go through and solve puzzles or something, and it's very pretty and very environmentally driven rather than anything else. And Abzu is done by some of the same people as that, maybe even the same studio. I should know. Oh, really? I know the art director is at least the same person, but I don't know about the rest of it. I loved Journey, and suddenly everyone, not everyone I know, but suddenly the internet is talking about Abzu. It just sort of came out of nowhere on my my feed, but that's interesting. I didn't know it was the same group, or part of the same group. Yeah, I didn't know about it until like three months ago, maybe, when one of my friends tweeted about it, and I was like, that sounds really cool, I'm going to look at that. And so I looked into it, and I followed the Twitter, and I didn't really hear much else about it except for like when the Twitter tweeted every now and then, and then it came out, and suddenly everyone was talking about it, and I was like, okay, I need to play this. And so I got it, um, and ran through it, and it's only a few hours long. It's similar to Journey. It has a really similar style to Journey, It's except that you are alone, and you're underwater, and so you basically go through the water and unlock life stuff so that you heal the environment around you and go through destroyed civilization and dying environments and it's kind of got the whole lesson of you need balance to sustain the life happening in the in the ocean oh that sounds important yeah it's it's really beautiful and really really fun and kind of relaxing as well even though if you have on, if you have PC, don't play it with a keyboard and a mouse if you can avoid that because it is really clunky. It doesn't not work, but there's certain parts of it where you have to be really deft with how you're swimming, and it's really hard to do that. And so I really want to replay it again at some point on PS4 or when I have a controller and also a better PC because there are also parts where you swim through like those giant spheres of fish that just like swim together. You can swim through those. And I'm sure it's gorgeous if you have a strong computer, but with mine, as soon as you get, like, more than 20 fish on the screen, my entire computer just lagged so much that it was moving, like, a frame a second or something. Oh, no. Ridiculous. And I could not figure out what was happening because there were just fish everywhere that were barely moving, and I was like, oh, I made a mistake here. Oh, no. (laughs) I, so, actually, that connects to the embarrassing story that I was going to tell, which is that accidentally I set the text speed on Kentucky Route Zero to be really slow. Like, there's three, yeah, like, there's three possible text speeds, and I just started the started the fourth act, and, like, the text was just laboriously crawling across the screen, and I was like, is this part of this scene? Like, is it supposed to be this way? And it, it didn't seem to be, and somehow, because I found in the menu you can change it, somehow the speed had gotten changed, but I, I was pretty sure it was a game mechanic for a while. It, it sounds like your slow fish was sort of a similar experience. <laughs> uh, I used to, I have a habit of when I start a new game and it gives me the option of what difficulty to play, I'll straight away go for hard mode. And if it doesn't give me that option, I won't go out of my way for it. But when I was playing Dragon Age Origins and Dragon Age 2, I set them both, and also Kotal 1 and Kotal 2, and I set them all on hard mode, like at the start of the game, and then forgot every single time that I was playing on hard mode. I played through the entirety of Dragon Age Origins on hard mode, wondering why the game was so damn hard. And I played through about half of Dragon Age 2 <laughs> until I decided to look at the difficulty and saw it was on hard mode, and I was like, okay, I've made it this far, I'll finish the game. 
And I did the same thing with KOTOR 1 and KOTOR 2, and I got to the final boss of KOTOR 2, and I was like, why is this game so hard? It makes no sense for this game to be really, really hard. And it, it kind of clicked that I might have changed the difficulty, and so I went into the settings, and I saw that it was on, like, the hardest mode, and I was like, this is why I've been struggling this entire game. And so I changed it to easy, and the boss was super simple. And that's kind of the same thing, is that I, I don't realize it's not mechanical. I think that that's part of the game, and I get really mad at the game for being so hard. <laughs> why is this game so slow yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and i also another game i played i've been playing so many games recently it's been so nice but i also played inside which is done by the same people as limbo and it's a really similar game to that and it's an atmospheric horror game that is a side scroller platformer thing and so you're just running through the game trying to avoid things killing you and solving puzzles while you're at it and it's really good it's like three hours long it's super short as well um and it's one of those games people complain about being too short as well even though i think being longer would really detract from the game but essentially you're this kid who's running through this facility that is performing experiments on humans and other things and you're trying to escape basically and i think that's what you try to do Hmm, i mean once you finish the game it's got different connotations on what you're trying to do but at the start you just you're just trying to get through it and trying to get away from people who are killing you and it's really intense the palette is really black and white but it's got a lot of other colors in certain scenarios and so you'll sometimes see like dawn light coming through pink and you'll be like oh that's really lovely you'll kind of pause for a moment and have a little moment of peace before running off again and being chased by dogs or freaky mermaid things in the water and i hate i hate the water level so much i have i have no ability to handle anything in water in any video game and the moment i go into the water levels in that game i was like I'm not going to be able to do this, but I made it through. Oh, no. And I think the entire game is really well done, and it's really, really intense and high-paced, high fast-paced, and high-tension, and so you're constantly just pushing yourself further and further and trying to figure out what's happening. And the water levels are really not well done, I think. They're really repetitive and kind of mechanically iffy. Um, but apart from that, the rest of the game is really good. And the puzzles can get complex, but they're still easy enough to figure out that it doesn't take away from the speed of the game, which is a good balance, I think. And the entire thing is done with no dialogue, and so the entire thing is completely environmental storytelling, which is really interesting. It's similar to Absu, they both do the same thing, that the entire story is told through the environment rather than dialogue or words or anything, but Inside has a bit more you can dig into than Abzu does. Abzu is very much like Journey in that it gives you kind of vague hints, but not enough to ever figure anything out. Whereas Inside seems to actually tell you a coherent story of some kind. You've just got to dig into what you've seen and what you've experienced to figure it out. And after I finished Inside, I went Googling like a million articles to see what people thought the ending was. And I basically agree with all of them. It seems to have a pretty, pretty solid basis for all the theories out there. And I really love that. I really love the way that you can have this game and have no dialogue at all, but still tell a really strong story of the world and everything like that. And that's why Oxenfree was so jarring, I think, because I just played Absolute Inside, which were very much the environment, whereas Oxenfree tells you a lot through dialogue. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, is Inside a Steam game? Where Where could one get it? Yeah, um, all three of those games you can get on Steam. I think Oxenfree and... Actually, I think all three of those games are also on PS4. I'm not 100% sure about Inside, but I think it might be. Um, Abzu definitely is. 
and so is Oxen Free. Cool. That one sounds, uh, I might look that up. It's really creepy, though. <laughs> there, there are places in it that, um, I would, I would just kind of stop playing and be like, I know what's about to happen and I don't like it. And I'm just, I, I'm just going to play it with my eyes closed or something. Oh, no. <laughs> Is this a recruit a friend to play with you experience? I wish I'd had a friend when I played it, honestly. I feel like that would have helped a little bit. I usually don't play many horror games. I haven't played Limbo because I was too scared to play it, so I might actually give it a go after playing Inside. And a lot of people think that Inside might be kind of a spiritual prequel to Limbo because they've got similar things going on. So I, I'm kind of interested about that. Cool. Um, so before we finish our game section, I wanted to ask a question. And so we were going to talk about No Man's Sky this week. We're going to just delay that for a couple weeks. But while that game is really in the news, um, basically I wanted to talk about it, but I also have no plan on buying it. From what I read, it just doesn't really seem like it would be it would be something that would hold me. It seems more like it's an experience. And then it's done. So have you, are you interested in playing it? Um, any, like, real quick thoughts about that before we go on? I was really excited about playing it a few months back. Actually, like, last year sometime, I think, when it was, had the first big hype push. And I was like, that looks really cool. I love space exploration stuff. But then it's kind of come closer and I've seen more about it. And I realized it wasn't entirely my thing as well. I'm very much into much more linear games where it's like, do this, go do this, and even if there's no strict story, like absolute, it still is quite linear, and so you know what, you know the direction you're heading. Whereas No Man's Sky is very open and big, and I get lost in those and bored in those really easily. And I think if I had a PS4 and I had the money for it, I would buy it just to check it out and have the experience. But because I have a computer that's kind of now on the lower end of being able to run games, and because it's kind of expensive, and because it doesn't have the huge character or world storytelling that I love I'm not gonna get it anytime soon and I think it looks like a really cool game if that's exactly what you want is the procedural world exploration and I wish that it wasn't getting so much hate from everyone yeah I think it it like destiny the hype hurt it a little bit and it sounds like it can be a really good experience if you really like crafting and inventory management and i'm just looking for a little more character but we'll talk more about that probably the next episode or sometime in the future yeah so any more game stuff i don't think so oh wait yes actually um so (laughs) i wanted to update on my pokemon go experience because last time i'd said that while i was enjoying playing it i hadn't ever had like the like I'd never met someone through it or, like, had a cool, like, real-world experience. So last week I went to New York City to see a friend, and she said, well, we should go to Central Park because there are a lot of Pokestops there. Um, Long story short, we ended up on Columbus Circle, which is, like, the mecca for Pokestops because there are four of them right there, and there were a billion people playing. There were people selling water, selling phone chargers, and at some point, someone had, like, an app that told them, oh, a Charizard appeared ten blocks away, and this whole crowd of people just dashed ten blocks uptown, and 
my friend and I went with them, and we didn't end up catching the Charizard because it was like a 15-minute window of time or whatever. But it was the quintessential Pokemon Go experience, and I'm glad I had it. That is amazing. I'm glad you got to experience that too. And I'm also just laughing so much at the people who've taken the opportunity to sell water and phone charges. There was a whole little ecosystem going on. I mean, I was ready to to be like, oh, Pokemon Go is kind of like fading in my own life. Like, people aren't talking about it with such fervor anymore. But the fervor is alive and well and affecting the food trucks in New York City. Wow, that is amazing. Yep, that's all my game news this week. <laughs> okay, cool. So our big topic this week is Ancillary Justice, which is a science fiction book written by Anne Leckie. Is that his name? I believe so. Yeah, um, and it's every I, it's it's an interesting book. It's about a character who was kind of part of artificial intelligence of a ship, a warship, in a completely different universe to ours, set completely like in space. And it's got two different stories happening at once, and it's it's interesting. What do you think about it, Megan? I adored it. Well, I've been on two different Tashi Station podcasts talking about ancillary justice now, and I count <laughs> that as a win. <laughs> so, uh, long story short, this is one of my favorite books um, for its portrayal of artificial intelligence for the stuff it does with gender just for like certain lines that stuck out at me for the fact that it's really smart without sacrificing the sci-fi pulp fun aspect of sci-fi as well um you had a little trouble getting into it at first right and i was actually very nervous i was like oh no if sap doesn't like this book i'm gonna be sad (laughs) so i'm glad i'm glad that you sort of came around to it. Do you want to talk about your, like, sort of beginning experience? Yeah, so I started the book kind of... I tried to start with no expectations because a lot of people were expecting me to really like it and I have the issue that I dislike a lot of books that I read, even if I should like them. And so I was reading it like, what if I don't like it? I go, What if I do like it? Kind of thing. And so I tried to go into it, like, just as a new book that I didn't know anything about, which I basically didn't know anything about except for the gender thing and... Um, the main character in some form being kind of an AI and so the first half or the first third of it was really dense it's a really dense book and the first little while of world building doesn't get much explanation and so there's like there are phrases used and different things mentioned that you don't understand what they're saying and there's a lot of reliance at least in the main society of I don't know how to say Raj 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 <laughs> I think that's yeah, that's how I've been saying it. But there's there's some consonants that just shouldn't be next to each other sometimes. Yeah, like the red the red chai um, are basically the main main colonizing force within the books, and so there's a lot within like the way that they talk as a society that you have to read between the lines with what they're saying a lot of the time. And it took me a while to get the hang of what different characters were actually saying, even though it didn't sound like that was what they were saying. And because the main character, it's from her point of view, and because the main character does know all the stuff already, you don't get it explained to you straight away. And so characters will be talking, and the main character will be like, ah, yes, I understand why they said that. And I'll be there like, but why Why did they say that? I don't understand what's happening. And <laughs> it was a really steep learning curve for me to get for, to the point where I'm reading the second book now, and I'm about a third of the way through it already. Um, 
And whenever a character just says something, or when they mention part of the culture and how it works, like straight away, I'm like, okay, yes, I know what's happening, and I understand it fully. And I went so quickly from just almost quitting the book because I didn't understand what was happening to now just having complete and total, total understanding, I guess, yeah, of it, and just inherent knowledge of what these characters are saying without actually saying anything, which is really interesting that it kind of happened without me realizing, but it took so long for that to happen for me. Man, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so part of what I liked about it is that it does sort of teach you its language. And for me, like, I I didn't have a lot of trouble picking it up in the beginning. Um, you sort of think there's definitely disorientation in the beginning because you have two parallel stories. You have a character with who sometimes has multiple bodies. You have the, the gender thing, which we'll get to. Um, but I love that you say that, like, it, it got easier because I think that's one of the reasons this is such good sci-fi because it teaches you a- as it goes and you sort of get to learn the culture and this like very complete society. Yeah. One of the main things that got me at the start was uh, whenever they, when it was the ship. So when it was um, the main character was the ship itself, uh, they would, they would reference like the different decade commanders, the de- decade lieutenants and like the soldier ancillaries, which are the, the ancillaries are bodies, human bodies taken and then having like the ship's AI kind of implanted, like put into their mind so that they become one with the ship. Um, and they're referred to like there's different decade decks on a ship and so they've got different names depending on which one they're on and then there's like 20 different ancillaries so they've got numbers for each of the ancillary bodies and it's all very confusing at the start and they keep referring to characters like as 1S or 2S and I was like are these the same person what's happening I don't know what's going on and then eventually you click that they are like all the same character because they're all the ship but they're all still different characters because they're different bodies and it does get more explained as you get further in and I do appreciate that that, that happened because I was not clicking to everything as it was going, so I was sort of reading it like, I'm enjoying the idea of this book, and I'm enjoying potentially where the story is going, but I don't understand any of these characters. Hmm, and the, like, the multiple bodies thing is tricky, too. I, um, I didn't, to a degree, I sort of hand-waved, like, okay, I don't know exactly how many soldiers are in each decade or how exactly it's laid out but i uh picked up the ancillaries pretty quickly and there's that one scene where you see what that sort of implantation looks like and it's terrible and great um but but it comes later like you don't you don't get sort of an introductory scene of this is what this is and you get the rats from a lot of different perspectives too like you see it from the perspective of uh Breck, who is an ex-member of the Ratch, you get a perspectives from the people on the colonized planets. Like, you get a lot of different political opinions, too. Yeah, and one of the most interesting things I found with the language was how the main character would say something and then would point out, like, in, in thoughts after the sentence that the word used meant something else in a different language, and they were, like, putting different languages together to say exactly what they meant to say. And um, within the dialogue, everyone within Ratch society is called citizen if they are a citizen of it. And, and so when they're referring to characters 
they'll use the word citizen, but they'll actually be saying something else, which the main character will then like explain. They'll, they'll say citizen, and then afterwards be like, I refer to them as a young female child kind of thing, and you'd be like, okay, it's a different word, but it's the same word. I get it. Yeah, and that sort of explains how the Ratch sees the world, too, I think, because they want to sort of fit everyone else's culture into their culture, and that doesn't always work. And Breck can see that because she knows all these different languages. Yeah, I liked her, like, detached perspective a lot, and I know that's one thing that if you... I feel like either you really like that or you don't, and I loved it, but she is very detached because she has so much knowledge and because sometimes she's acting under the control of another being and sometimes she's a spaceship. Yeah, the detachment was interesting. I had a while where I didn't understand what her motivations actually were, and so at the start I was like, what's even driving this character? I don't understand. And then you get close to the end and you see that she's actually got really strong motives for what she's doing, but she is still just really detached from the rest (laughs) of the world that's going on, like the really personal motives. And I found that really interesting too because the rest of the world is very like driven by what everyone else is doing. It's very interlinked, whereas she just kind of stands apart from that. Yeah, well, that's I, I laugh because, and I don't remember the exact sequence of like when you learn these things in the book, but I think that before you learn about um, the temple, like about what really motivated her and about uh, what happened to her, you learn that like she's she wants what every sci-fi hero wants which is to shoot the bad guy with a magic weapon and like that was all i needed (laughs) i was like okay that's that's the sandbox we're playing in here we've got all this other stuff but mostly it's about a magic gun and i kind of like that about it too yeah i like that for a while you don't entirely know why she's doing it but you're like yeah i I mean i get that sure why not yeah Uh, to me that that sort of helped pull it along. The thing that really required my brain to bend were the pronouns because so everyone, every character is referred to by female pronouns, regardless of their biological gender or the gender that their society perceives them as. And especially for me, I read it, uh, three, four years ago or when, when it came out, um, it was very jarring to me to see because it, it makes you realize how often female characters are put in certain roles and even seeing um, characters that all of them are described with female pronouns made me realize how often female characters are like boxed into certain ways. And that really like, I thought that made a big impact. Um, Did you, so reading it at, at present, was it difficult for you? Did it sort of make that impact for you? I honestly might not have actually realized that the gender thing was actually happening in the book, if not for people telling me previously, and also um, the main character mentioning it sometimes. Um, huh, that's interesting. How I write tends to be I default to female characters con- like constantly, and I have to consciously make choices to use other genders because I just default to female. And I tend to read a lot of fiction that has female... Like, I- not, not obviously not everything has a lot of female characters and it's hard to find anything that is majority female characters but I think because like that's how I kind of write creatively it matched already what I thought and so it was kind of jarring to me whenever a character would be described as a her and then the main character would be like but I could see that they're a male or something like that or another character would refer to them in a masculine way but and then the main character would be like oh 
they're, they're male then, I guess. But I'm going to keep calling them her because that's what this language does. And I found yeah. that kind of interesting as well. And I kind of got frustrated because for the first while, every time a character got described as the main character, they ended up being a dude, even though they were using the her pronouns. And I was like, don't commit to this if you're not going to commit to this kind of thing. Um, but I thought that was really interesting, by the way, that the main character does not care about gender at all, really. And the Ratch themselves don't. But there's also other things from other cultures that they bring in about different genders and how they how they kind of act um, within that thing. And it's interesting to see... That's my train of thought. But it's, just, it's really interesting how other places take the way Ratch only use female pronouns for everyone and how they kind of take that as, oh, they're only a woman or, oh, they have no gender at all. Like, they're, they're genderless people. Um, because of the different cultures. And I found that kind of interesting to read. Whenever it pops up, it's very rare that that pops up, but I thought that was really cool. Yeah, where, like, the language does and does not necessarily match how they actually think of themselves, or, like, biologically they have multiple genders, but their language just doesn't work that way. Yeah, yeah. And I thought it was cool as well, because if a character didn't actually get described as male, or even if they did, I was still like, whatever. I'm just going to read them as a girl anyways, because <laughs> using female pronouns. I um, I think I did end up picturing a lot of them as androgynous. Like, by now I've seen the fan art and stuff, so now my how I picture them is, has been influenced by that. But um, when I was originally reading it, um, part of what, like, struck me about that was the thing that you said before, which is that a lot of the main characters are sort of revealed to be... Um, other characters refer to them as male and I was I had the same kind of feeling that you did like why like why can't this just be a lady yeah and I think that's the main thing I had issue with which is a it's a silly thing to have issue with but also I was just like damn it so many well, lady and friends there, there are a lot of important like very important female characters later on but I, yeah, I agreed with you. I felt like that at times. I think the main one that got me was when the, the Lord of the Ratch, I can't, I don't know what her name is, actually got revealed to be, like, a dude, and I was like, ah, oh, come on. Come on. Yeah, well, uh, uh, Anander Mianai has a lot of bodies, so her her gender is kind they're of... They're all cloned, so aren't they all just the same? Um... See, now, now you got me thinking about it because I definitely pictured her, like, child, like, when she appears as a child, as a female. Yeah. Yeah, so, I guess so, but I, uh, I don't remember that body being definitively marked as male. Yeah, I just remember somebody referring to her as a male at some point, and I was like, no, no, not allowed. Oh. But no, I mean, I, mean I, I agree. I No. It's hard <laughs> I'm, just, to know. I'm just not going to include that in my headcanon. Yeah, same. It's, it's really hard to know a lot of the time. And it doesn't. It makes you realize how much it doesn't matter what gender someone actually is within the book. Like, you can read them, and all of them are female pronouns. And so I, I read the characters as female just by default, even though I know they're largely not. And when they get explained to me that they're not, I'm sort of like, okay, fine, cool. Um, but it means that you don't actually think about it. You can see them as female, or you could be like, they're not female, they're androgynous, they're, they could be whatever, picture them as whatever you want. And it doesn't matter, because the characters are just who they are, and so they don't tend to fall into any weird stereotypes that they might do in other science fiction, 
and you don't have preconceptions of the characters either because of the gender that they are and that's a really cool way to do it yeah and I think everybody comes at this a different way but it, it forced me to challenge some of my preconceptions and I definitely like value it for that yeah so you are a connoisseur of AI <laughs> like I am <laughs> and uh, so what did you think about like the ancillaries and the, the ships and how they dealt with that it took me a while to get my head around the whole ancillary thing um, but I really like it now that I've gotten kind of gotten used to how it worked and it because it does it gets explained relatively well later on in the novel especially after um, certain stuff happens and it's really cool it's a really cool concept that you've got the ship with the main intelligence and they've got all these little bodies that they can use to just go do other stuff and basically just be routine like maintenance workers and soldiers and stuff like that. And they're all connected to the whole, but each one has like its own different needs and personality quirks that can come up. Like there's the character 1S, um, who is an ancillary from the main ship, who has a habit of singing all the time and they're just known for that and people get weirded out when they're not singing or when they're not around and everything's really quiet and I thought that was a cool way to show that they're all linked they still they still kind of have separate minds even though they're not a separate mind um and having the ancillary an ex-ancillary as the main character who has had that experience of being part of the entire ship but is now just this sole sole person is really interesting because they 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 come at the world in a different way to humans who have been, you know, alone mentally and, like, personality-wise their entire lives. And so the Sincillary has had the entire ship and their abilities before now, and now they're just a soul unit. And so it, I think in the second book that comes across a bit more as well because um, certain things happen and... and they can identify with how ancillaries feel or might feel or how different artificial intelligence might feel about different different things occurring than a human might so they've got this kind of extra knowledge which is cool to see and also i'm like don't don't reveal too much about yourself friend to stay safe stay safe <laughs> yeah and there's certainly more about that later on as well yeah i liked as well because there's the station um an AI. Yes. And Station very much does not like the main character. I love that. No. Snarky Station is is one of my favorite things. Yeah. I just I love it so much as well because the just the thought of the entire ships just having these these personalities and the way they get attached to their commanders or dislike different commanders as well if they're not good commanders. Um and there's there's references in the books. It's not shown in it but there's references to previous warships like thousands of years beforehand um that would get so attached to their captains that when their captains died they would go crazy from grief and i thought that was a really cool concept like yeah like, i'll me. read that story <laughs> it worries me that keeps getting brought up but i i thought that was really cool that um these ships would become such strong personalities even though the citizens themselves just think that they're, you know, just an artificial intelligence programmed to obey, which they somewhat are, but they can still have different loyalties. Yeah, you get there's uh, some conversations in Ancillary Justice and more in uh, 
ancillary sword between Breck and Mercy of Caller about, like, what it is to be a ship versus what it is to be a captain and, like, the idea that, like, can, can an AI be the captain of a ship is, like, a big debate. And then you get some more, not exactly the same lost ships that we were mentioning before, but, like, there are lost ships that show up, and uh, it's really good. And part of what I like about it is that there's there's humor in it. Um, what what do you think about the scale? Like, I think we talked about this on the Tashi Station book club, um, that the book is relatively low scale, um, like, in that she talks a lot about characters having dinner and characters having tea and, like, there are these big important things happening, but a lot of it's character-based. Did you note that or have a particular opinion about that? I think I did note that without thinking about it too much. I think, yeah, the first book definitely, a lot of it is very insulated to the characters and what's happening at that point in time. Um, I guess it gets less so near the ending, but you've got Lieutenant Orn in um, one storyline, who is the main kind of secondary character. Um, I love her. I love her so much. She is my favorite. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then there's Sevadan in the other one, who's kind of the main secondary character. And so a lot of the story is kind of based around what they're doing somewhat or how they're feeling. And they kind of, they kind of help drive the story in certain ways, even though one of them is more important to a character's uh, choices than another one is. They're both, and because they're both such different characters as well, you kind of get a really interesting, different points of view, um, depending on which which part of the story you're looking at. Because one one half is a flashback, and the other half is present time, kind of. Um, and so you kind of see how each of them are dealing with that, and how they're driving the story in that. And yeah, beyond them, you don't get much else in the universe, but you get enough through them, I guess, that you don't notice that the span of the story or the scale of the story isn't huge. Hmm. So after I read um, Ancillary Justice for the first time, or maybe after Sword, I'm not sure, but at some point, because of Anne Leckie, I started reading C.J. Cherry's Foreigner series, and if you like Ancillary Justice or even are confused by Ancillary Justice, I think it's worth reading Foreigner as well, because the the pacing in that way that you get like the microcosm of culture through individual characters is very much, I think the one was inspired by the other That's to a degree. Interesting. Yeah. Check that out. Yeah. I, um, I was so happy because today <laughs> and lucky, um, retweeted this thing about tea. It was an article about a, a university that's working on making a material out of like a substance found in tea. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, that reminds me of ancillary justice. And of course it was Anne Lecky. So <laughs> I just encountered this porridge tea in ancillary sword on one of the places like on the station and I'm just I can't I can't imagine what that's like just the fact that it's porridge but also tea and i know that tea is somewhat different in this universe but i still just i can't do it it freaks me out yeah i'm picturing like sort of tapioca type thing and i don't i don't know if i would like it either but <laughs> i guess they're into it <laughs> as long as it's not that ores tea oh yeah that sounded really <laughs> gross too i also like the food is is 
really weird and alien. It's similar because you have tea and stuff like that, but also on um, the first planet that you're on, what is that planet called? The uh, Nilt. Yeah, Nilt. Um, they have they soak their bread in water, like it's super hard bread, and they soak it in water and then like eat the mushy bread, and it just sounds really disgusting, but it's just normal for them, and it's subtly alien. But also still similar enough that you like recognize what's happening. Like I understand hard bread and I understand water and I understand what happens when you put bread in water. But you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't eat it. And so you kind of get the feeling that it's different bread and it works in a different way. And it feels very different and strange while also being familiar. And so it, it does help you. Um, it, it helps you understand what's happening in the world while also being like, it is not your planet and not your galaxy. Yes. And I feel like the bread and milk thing, like, that's... It's it's not so alien. I don't know. I think that planet is partially based on, um, uh, like, high elevation. Like, cultures that live in really high mountains and, like, what you have to do to adapt to that. And uh, I don't know the story, but that's what it sort of made me think of. And later... Uh, eggs, tea, fish, none of it's the same after reading these books. <laughs> yeah, they've got smoked eggs, and I was like, I want to try that, but I don't know how that would work. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess, like, I, I picture sort of deviled eggs, but it's not really the same at all. Yeah, that's kind of huh. what I was doing, too. And I was like, I like, you're putting words together I understand, like, smoked eggs and porridge tea, <laughs> but combined, I can't make it work in my head. Man... I, I keep telling my friends we need to have an ancillary justice tea party one day because you could just make all this stuff and it'd be great. Oh, Wear gloves. Amazing. It'd be fine. Yes. As long as nobody has, like, a magic gun. No. No. Actually, We're good. one of the things I had the most trouble with, because I don't like, I, I really struggle with, like, ridiculous alien names and things that are, that feel <laughs> not thought out. And I encountered, like, the the err. The err! I love them. <laughs> <laughs> and at first I was like, this name is so bad and I hate it so much. And then you reach a point where the main character explains that it's actually just the sound, like, err. And I was like, because they, they make that sound themselves. They growl. And I was like, oh, that makes so much more sense and I don't hate this anymore. But my friend who read, um, who read the books, or rather listened to the books, who audiobooks, and I asked him, like, what he thought of the er, and he, like, I typed it out, and he was like, the what? And I was like, oh my god, they would have said it properly in the audiobook. And so I had to, like, explain it to him. And I thought that was kind of, kind of strange, and also cool that we had a different interpretation of these characters just because, well, these aliens, just because you can't put down that sound in writing. And so it just looked really immature to me. But to him, it was just like, okay, fine, they growled. So how does it how does it come across in the audiobook? I haven't do you know? I haven't listened to it. I think it just is that like deep growling sound or something. I haven't listened to it <laughs> myself. I'll have to ask him to imitate it for me tonight if I can. <laughs> See, I thought that was amazing. It's just it's just four R's. And like I thought it was hilarious because I, it's just so weird. I, I have no deep like oh, I think this fits alien xenobiology or anything. I just thought it was funny, mostly. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a bizarre-looking name when you just look at it straight up, and you're like, why is it a whole lot of R's? What, is, what does this mean? <laughs> and I think it's another way of showing how these things that you see written down in the book, 
like the way they talk and it doesn't actually translate into how they're actually talking in real life as well and I, I like that I kind of like that level that you can tell like you see what's written down and you can read it in your head like you have that voice in your head that talks to you as you're reading things I guess I do I think most people <laughs> have that um, but then yeah. then whenever the main character says something like you know like they, they're using a different gendered term when they're just saying citizen and you kind of have that moment of oh they're not saying exactly what they're saying here but I understand what they're saying and I think the er kind I kind of like that <laughs> and I like that their name is easy to pronounce unlike everything else I've ever encountered <laughs> it's uh this book like gives a good impression of having a constructed language without actually having one I think yeah I appreciate that because I have story ideas where if I want to write them, I'd have to construct a language and bring through this. I'm like, you didn't construct a single language, but you still managed to get the fact that there's like so many different languages being spoken across so perfectly. And I'm so jealous of this. Uh, that, I mean, so that kind of brings me back to a uh, central station that I mentioned earlier, which not, not bad, but the things that I remember about it are the things that I didn't like, which was also a made up language that I thought just sounded really goofy. And like the, the author probably did some really good research into like, what would a far future earth slash asteroid mining colony pigeon sound like, but written it just came off as like really silly like english with more vowels in it and i think ancillary justice did a good job of avoiding that yeah it's so easy to go goofy with that and it's so easy to do it wrong it's hard to construct a language and make it sound natural and like it actually should exist without it yeah you know getting goofy or just frustrating in some form and yeah i think ancillary justice did that really well and i think having um sevadin as a character helped that too because you could have two characters speaking the same language but because Sevarin is like a thousand years older and hasn't been around for a long time and their their dialect is really old and, and, and antiquated um, I don't know why I struggled with that word suddenly that two characters they can be talking but neither of them understand what the other one's saying even though in the book it's just English and you understand it because the main character understands it but you, you just know that they don't they're not speaking the same language and it, I think it would probably be really hard to actually do that well I would have no clue how to do it but Anne Leakey does it really really well yeah and that's uh Suvarden was a good like um almost point of view character I kept forgetting that she was like a thousand years old and had been frozen in carbonite for a while because <laughs> she also had that like aristocracy thing and you Breck had to explain things to Sivarden sometimes and that helped the reader because then the reader would get them explained also. Yeah, and the character growth of Sivarden was really interesting to watch as well. At, at, the, at the start I was like, okay, I, I don't trust you and I don't really like you. And then by the end of it I was like, okay, I love you. Please stay. I will be curious to see what you think um, at the end if you read the whole series okay. because I had the same the same situation where, like, you get to like Sivardin, and then gradually I started disliking her again, and, like, I liked what they did at the end, but I haven't had a good opportunity to talk to someone about it, so we should talk about it at some point. Definitely. Well, I'll probably be finishing Ancillary Sword very soon. <laughs> Great. What's the, the last one's Ancillary Mercy? Mercy. Yeah. Okay, I'm really excited to finish this trilogy. I'm really glad that I liked them this much because 
I was worried I wouldn't like them. I had one friend tell me that I actually might not like it because of how picky I am with books, even though like everyone else was like, you're going to love this, Seth. And I was like, I, I really want to love it. And because I got about like a third of the way through and I was like, I can't stand what's happening. I don't understand it. And it's, it's making me mad that I don't know what's going on. And then suddenly understood everything all at once. And just I, as soon as I clicked onto what was happening and understood the language of the book, I, for the rest of it, I just chewed through it, like, straight away. I was, I spent, like, a whole day reading it and finished it, and I was like, this is amazing. I see one right now. And so if you read this book yourself and you're finding yourself struggling, it does get a lot easier and a lot better. Cool, yeah. It kind of rearranges, rearranges your brain a little bit. Yeah, you kind of got to – it's kind of like learning a different language, but nowhere near as difficult. It reminded me of playing Portal, kind of. You had to learn to shift the camera in a different way. Yeah, that's a really good way of putting it, yeah. And that, like, that's something that it was learning curve and then it just clicked. Yeah, and then suddenly, like, you'd walk into a puzzle room and you'd just understand what you need to do straight away. It is really similar to that. It's, it is actually kind of similar to playing a game and clicking to how the game works and understanding the mechanics of that game. Which is not something you need to do with books super often, like understanding the different mechanics of the book and how it works, but this is one of those. And it's worth it. It's totally worth it. And if you get to the end of it and you still hate it, then fine. That's fair as well. But it's, <laughs> it will probably get better if you're struggling at the start. Um, I mean, I hate like everything and I ended up loving it anyways. And I just, I just love the AI stuff so much and I want more of it. It's delightful and I think... I look forward to talking to you about more of it as, as you read on. It's awesome. So do you have any last thoughts on Ancillary Justice? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think everyone should read it. I agree. And um, there's a lot more about music than we talked about. She was inspired partially by sacred harp music, which is uh, um, organized religious-based screaming and I recommend that also. <laughs> huh, I'll check that out. That makes sense, though. <laughs> yeah, awesome. So that's Western Reaches for this fortnight. We'll be back soon with probably some No Man's Sky talk and other book and game talk. So keep an eye out and don't forget to check the Western Reaches.